Welcome to Leukemia Chatters from Leukemia Care. I'm Charlotte, Patient Advocacy Manager. Today we chatted to CLL patient Nick and AML patient Sam. With shielding due to be paused on 31st of March 2021, and the hope that we will be able to soon lift COVID-19 restrictions for good, I chatted to Nick and Sam about how they feel after one year of COVID-19 and shielding in the UK. Hi everyone, welcome to today's podcast. Uh, today I'm joined by two patients and we're going to chat about shielding. So I'm joined by Nick. Hi Nick. Hi everybody. And also by Sam. Hi Sam. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. Um, you're both fairly familiar faces to podcasts and, and to people who, who watch our webinars. Thank you for giving up your time again for, for this conversation. Today we're going to chat about shielding again, which feels a lot like deja vu let's be honest I mean Sam the first time we did a, a podcast about shielding was April 16th I had a quick flick back um in 2020 so I can't believe we're still here I mean to start with you Sam how do you how do you feel about <laughs> where we've got to over the last year how, how do you feel personally about the whole pandemic situation um well it's been slow improvement <laughs> it's, it's been really slow improvement but I didn't, I just didn't think that we'd still be here having this conversation almost yeah. a year later. I just, I really didn't. I, I thought that perhaps, you know, we would have it in hand and yeah, we wouldn't have to do this, but yeah, I think but here we are. <laughs> I think everybody feels uh, slightly that way. I agree. How about you, Nick? Do, do you concur with that feeling? Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say thanks for inviting me. It's given me someone to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think the word new normal comes to mind. Um, you know, we talked about a new normal in different other aspects of living with the condition. Now we've got a new, new normal. I'm, I guess reflecting on it, I'm beginning to find it hard to pick the bones out of um, what's going to remain and what's not. Yeah. So for context of today's conversation, obviously we're speaking on, what's the date, 18th of March and in 2021, and um, the government have announced that shielding it's supposed to end on the 31st of March. So in theory, we have a, a, a slow progress towards a, an end of shielding and an end of lockdown, hopefully, um, and COVID restrictions altogether. Um, how do you both feel about the prospect of shielding ending uh, again? Um, I'm, I'm not okay. <laughs> I just, I feel like we should have been able to shield until we'd had our second jab and, and the month after that. And that we're kind of being forced out after our first one. And with, you know, I, I had the Pfizer jab and knowing that that isn't as effective in blood cancer patients is a bit of a worry, really. So I, I'm still going to shield. I just don't know what to do with it. I just I just don't know. It's really worrying, to be honest. How about you, Nick? Mm, I, I, yeah, I can concur with how you're feeling about that. I'm, I'm trying to be um, proactive with the situation. I think when we're diagnosed with the condition, we have to take ownership of that at some point. Um, and I think to some degree here, we're going to have to do the same, you know, be proactive in how we mitigate and manage our own risks and be aware of our surroundings because we're going to have to. So I think, yeah, um, for quite some time, Although officially, you know, the government, it, it's up to us to decide at what level of shielding we implement. So just because the government says shielding is over doesn't mean it is over. It might be for some that unfortunately 
maybe pushed into work a bit sooner than they wish to. But I think from my own point of view, the new shape of life is going to incorporate some element of shielding at different levels at different times, according to how risk, uh, you know, according to risk levels, really, and, 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 and who you're associating with and, and prevalence of the disease in the community. So I'm not frightened by it. I knew shielding was to come to an end. So it's, I suppose, spring and summer, I find quite exciting, you know, and, and it, it yeah. concurs with that. Um, yeah. Sam, I want to go back to you very briefly. I, I remember the first time we talked about shielding on the podcast, we, we were with Taya, who's a, also an acute leukemia patient. And you both were talking about initially how you felt quite positive about the situation because you'd been through isolation periods in the past and I was just conscious that what you say about shielding now is very different to how you felt back then I wondered if you could say a little bit more about why you think it's changed in that way because of the length of it I think as as acute patients we are used to isolating um it's something that we've we did for fairly long periods during our treatment um we learnt how to mitigate risks as you know, Nick spoke about that already, but it seems to, because it's going on for such a long time, it's wearing now. And this, this time for me, um, I am completely alone. So I have been completely alone since, um, since January. So I don't have a garden, so I can't go and sit in the garden and I don't have a pet and I don't, so I'm on my own. I'm completely on my own. And um, so that's what's changed for me it, because before I had a bubble, I had to um, come out of the bubble. I had to unbubble myself because my son actually got COVID. And um, so I, I can't risk being in that environment anymore. I, I can't be in a bubble now. So, um, so I've been on my own and that's what's changed is the fact that I'm completely by myself and the weather isn't helping it's warmer now and it's easier to get out and about and it's lighter at night and things like that. So I can go for walks, but you know, during the winter, I found that really hard and it was very isolating being at home day after day after day, because it was rainy, because it was, you know, windy, because it was just every day was the same and it was blending into one long day. And I think that's, that's what, that's what's changed for me really. Mm -hmm. Nick, has your attitudes to shielding changed over time as well, do you think? Yeah, I think it has. You know, I've always been positive and I thought we could bring something to the table in the beginning, help others to learn to live with what we had to live with prior to shielding. And, 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 uh, but yeah, it's gone on for a long time now. And yeah, I, I appreciate Sam been on your own I'm lucky I've got Thor I don't want to say his loud, name too loud he's downstairs at the moment <laughs> and I've got the garden that I can obsess with but you know I haven't been able to physically connect with my girlfriend for six months and I suppose it's strange I've kind of reinvented myself I'm just questioning myself now am I the same person I was before I went in because at least when you're going through treatment stages where you have to isolate you know that there's an end to that so you know, the need to be persistently, I, I see a need to be selfish coming, yeah, which means I'm going to have to stand by some rules to protect myself because they're not going to be the norm. And I'm going to have to make some decisions or it's going to impact on relationships because of that. 
and how I interact now with people. I am finding it. I don't know if I'm a bit more batty or if I'm behaving a bit more strangely, but interacting with people, I'm just wondering, am I going to be able to interact with people the way I did before? So, yeah, it's kind of creeping along. Yeah. Um, but I think I'm still positive about things. And, I, you know, I, I believe that we will be all right and things will get better. But there's a lot more uncertainty. I don't know. There seems to be more uncertainty now than there was in the beginning. I don't know if that's logical because apparently there shouldn't be, but there does seem to be because it's all a bit more complicated. When we come out of shielding, you haven't got that safety net there. You haven't got one rule for all. You know, I can give an example in my local area. Three weeks ago, it was listed as one of the top areas of concern by the government because of increasing escalation. I didn't have a jar of glue about it because I was shielded. And I was cracking on with my life. And why do I bother going on my phone to see what the infection rates are in the community? Because I ain't going nowhere. But the reason I did was because I had to go for a blood test. And to do that, I had to go to my GP surgery. So I thought, "Mm, let's just be vigilant and just see what the situation is so I can see what level of precaution I need to take. And I was kind of shocked when I saw that. So not having to do that, things are changing again. Now it's going to be, you know, I've only had to go out really everything's been delivered at home i've got kind of used to that kind of like my own company i didn't really that much before and i kind of enjoy getting all these deliveries and you know i've been able to go out for a walk but that's been the level of risk mitigation walk on the other side of the street and upwind from people yeah now i don't feel quite as comfortable as i did before because There's so many uncertainties. We're all mindful of what's happening in other countries. We're all mindful of issues around the vaccination. So a long-winded way around of saying it. I don't know about you, Sam, probably. But I'm also mindful of of, um, groups that live as families under the same roof and um, all of the challenges that come there. So I suppose I'm thankful for being able to be on my own and be at home with my dog and my garden and close the door on the world if I can, if I want. Mm. Um, I think you raised a good point there about that being a luxury, though, following the announcement today that the shielding was ending. We did put out something saying shielding shouldn't be ending because not everybody has that ability to close themselves off from the world. That's why I'm mindful, absolutely, of the other of those that you know live in shared households where people go their children go to school or you know people are toing and froing to work it's there's you know things aren't clear now absolutely yeah, yeah. sam uh, nick brought up an important topic around uncertainty there and um that's something i wrote down before the podcast i think there's been so many ups and downs that we didn't expect throughout the pandemic we expected a peak a decrease things back to normal has that is that something that's been difficult for you to deal with as well yeah it's been a little bit like a roller coaster ride to be honest yeah um you do expect I mean we didn't know what to expect because we've never done this before but I think we we did have a certain expectation that it was going to peak that there was going you know they were going to get a handle on it that there was going to be certain measures in place and we would all slowly get back to some kind of normal what we didn't expect is to go up and down and up and down. And it was just, it's been absolutely the most bizarre experience. And then I think the, when we, we had, we had the news of the vaccine 
I, I breathed a sigh of relief and thought, oh, wow, great. This is, you know, finally. And then that brought even more uncertainty, actually. So, yeah, it's, it's been constant. Yeah. And I, whereas I, th- I saw an end to it before, now I can't see it, mm. which is, it feels quite bizarre. I was really positive, as you said, I was really positive at the beginning and now I'm kind of losing faith. Mm. I don't know when I'm going to get back to any kind of normal. So it's, it's really, yeah, it's just, it's, it's very strange at the moment. Yeah, oh, I agree. Nick, is that what you meant by un- uncertainty? Uh, you know, those moments where we thought what we expected to happen didn't happen quite where we wanted. Yeah, I think things will balance out in time and and things, the uncertainty would go, you know, as immune compromised, you know, as I'm somebody that's maybe sometimes more more frequently a bit more immune compromised than others because I have to infuse every two weeks with immunoglobins. And, and those of us, when we go through treatment stages and we're severely impaired, we learn early on that, you know, diseases like pneumonia and influenza can impact really negatively on us. And, and, and therefore, we've managed to find a balance with time. And I believe we will find a balance with time. So that long-term uncertainty will go as it becomes totally incorporated into our new lifestyles. I think the uncertainty for me at the moment is more short-term. How is the nation the population going to navigate these next steps, all of us together, are we going to be left to one side because of the situation? Maybe, and, and that's when you were just saying earlier on about guilt and things and else that come into there. You know, I've, I've got a list. I just sat there whilst, sorry, Sam, whilst you were chatting, I thought I'd write a list of positive and negatives, you know, for the situation. And I was quite surprised I found a few positives, but, there are some negatives in there. And, and, and I think the two that jumped up for me is fear and relationships with other people. Let's pick up on that fear point. So one of the questions that um, someone asked me in advance uh, to ask you guys was around fear of infection in particular. So blood cancers are, regardless of what type they are, they're all issues with the immune system, cancers of the immune system, essentially. And how has it changed that alone changes your relationship with infection risk and those sorts of things. But has has shielding added to that? As how is it? How has shielding worked? Being on top of that existing fear of infection. I don't know, Nick. Do you want to go first? I'll go first on that one because I can. the The fear of infection while shielding has been zero, <laughs> so that fear is not there. And what's a kind of ironic as well, as, as immune compromised people, we would catch everything under the sun and it wouldn't just impact us on a minor way. It would hang around for ages. We'd end up with sinus and infection, you know, uh, you know, lots of bizarre little infections we'd pick up through the winter season. I'm not sure if I'm speaking for everybody, but I haven't picked one up really major this year. And, and you know, I'm on immunoglobin, so, you know, I, I don't, Want them to take it away but whilst i was shielding i questioned the need for it at some point so shielding has been a godsend in that respect so that's part of the change now you're going to have to mitigate that risk now in this new lifestyle as we emerge if you want to emerge you know it's a want to do you want to be 
fully functional again or partially functional again. But I think there's lots of things that can make us feel better. It hasn't helped while shielding, knowing that you're in a vulnerable group, being labelled CEV, clinically extremely vulnerable, watching the TV and seeing the horror of the torture of people that have been admitted to hospital and how they've coped. None of this has helped. But when you actually look at it, the number of people now that are leaving hospital, the treatments that are now available that are improving the outcomes for patients, it is listening, lessening in me the risk of fear. The vaccination, I'm vaccinated. I don't normally mount a response as well as other people, but some response is better than none. So that's going to mitigate the severity of an infection. The infections that a year down the road now, the clinical community is very familiar in dealing with patients affected by this awful condition and, and, and what happens. So that risk has been lowered and that fear is easier to balance and will, I, I'm saying this is going to anticipate this, it's going to become easier to balance because you can see, you know, where it will be sitting. But this next step means experimenting. It means being vigilant and keeping an eye on things, um, infection in the community. You know, you can't help micromanaging everybody around you during the situation. Where have you been? What infections you've you had? You know, all of these things. It's it's the stepping out of shielding that's going to be a challenge. And 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 you know that you're gonna to have to go at your own rate and do it in your own way. And that's gonna take time to balance. Yeah. Probably I don't know if I talk too much, but never Nick, it's all right. <laughs> All very useful information, don't worry. Sam, I was just going to pick up on something Nick said there about balancing fear and balancing risk. Is that is that something you relate to in terms of thinking about how you're going to deal with infections in the future, the risk of infection in the future? Yeah, definitely. I, I, you know, I agree with what Nick said. When COVID first started, I'd, and I spoke about this on, in the first podcast, I'd made a conscious decision I felt like I was at a point where even though fear is always there and it probably won't ever go away, I had a handle on the fear and I was ready to not have as many blood tests to, you know, just to try and return to some kind of, of normal. And then COVID came along and completely knocked that sideways. But last year, was the first year that I didn't get flu, which was amazing because I was at home, like Nick said. I did pick up a few colds. I think maybe that might have been when I was walking around and like having my walks and stuff or my shopping, maybe, I don't know. I did have a couple of colds, but they weren't anywhere near as bad as I would normally have them. I think that what, what this whole experience has helped me with is the fact that in the future, I will be wearing a mask. That's something that I'm going to be doing now. I can see the benefits of it. Yeah, and I, you know, I, we know that we, we pick up infections so easily. And like Nick said, they do knock us sideways and they do hang around for a really long time. And we get infections that we've perhaps never had before. I never used to get sinus infections and now I do. And they're really painful. So it's, you know, to wear a mask and just lessen your risk. That's something that I, you know, that's something that I will be doing in the future. But I've always really been vigilant of other people's behavior anyway. 
So I am, I'm always watching people. I'm always really careful. I don't like crowds anyway. So I won't be doing, I won't be going into a really busy shopping center on a Saturday, for instance. I'm, I'm really worried about what's going to happen when everything opens up because I know that people are going to descend in droves and I live in the city. So it, it you know, it, it does bother me a little bit, but I can manage that risk. I know how to manage that risk. When was the last time you went to a shop? Me? Yeah. I actually can't remember. <laughs> when was the last time you handled money? Oh, my gosh. I don't think anybody does that anymore, do they? <laughs> I can't think. I can't think I can't the last think time I handled money. I totally relate to what you were saying. This Actually, just before you said it, I wrote down social distancing, face masks, washing mm. hands, hand wipes, hand gel. I wish I could show you my handbag, actually, but it's not close to me. But I have all of that stuff on me. Anyway, regardless of COVID, that is something that I have, yeah. I've, you know, since I was diagnosed, I've had that stuff on me anyway. I wash everything. I spray everything. So it's, you know, something that I'll be carrying on. But so essentially when we, the rest of the population who aren't affected by blood cancer, talk about getting, when, when the government set out that roadmap, they put the point of 21st of June, we will get rid of all COVID restrictions. Realistically, for mm. blood cancer patients, that has a limit normally anyway so for you it will yeah. be hand sanitizer and masks will stay regardless of everybody else suddenly chucks them out the window absolutely yeah yeah absolutely yeah and you will get funny looks from people because they are you know they but they're in a different place they, they have different experiences to you I, I wonder if we will get funny looks because it t- it's taken a year but you know walk down the high street going to the doctor three weeks ago for my blood test everybody in the high street on a windy windy day and there's hardly anybody about is wearing a face mask so you know these are probably going to be habits that are going to embed that are going to broaden everyone's health but i'm not going to be try not to be obsessive that's my plan but at the moment i, I confess i am obsessive I, I notice it when i go out i'm obsessing all the time it's like you know, I've got that safety antenna up. At least I've got four of them up rather than one up that you would have in normal. You know, I've got one looking behind me or one looking around the corner behind me, you know, um, going for a walk. So I'm hoping that will dampen down, you know, but I, I'm just looking at my positives and negatives at the moment. And, um, you know, I find it surprising that, you know, positives, I'm a bit more self-sufficient than I was before. I'm definitely more digitally empowered. I've updated all of my technology. You know, I'm now in this century. I'm not a Luddite, you know, and I found a way. I'm fortunate. I found a way to exercise and eat well now that I've got a handle on how to get food oh, delivered. I wish I was the same. <laughs> and, and, and I've got to confess, you know, I'm not going to badmouth the government by their indecisions that they've made in the past, but they've done a damn good job, you know. I've been taking my vitamin C for the last, vitamin D for the last you know month, and I don't know whether that's making me feel a bit better. So there's a limit, isn't there, for how how much support we can have? And I wonder if there is a positive that we're not being singled out and are kind of being by the actions of shielding ending are being reincorporated into the community. I just think that we've got to be really proactive and make sure we manage our own risk properly and take all considerations into effect so that we can effectively operate in a way that we can cope with. And if we can't cope with it, there's nothing wrong with closing your door and staying indoors until you feel a little bit better um, with the situation. Yeah, I think that once people have their second jabs and we have more evidence that it's working in the blood cancer community, then that might help alleviate 
people's fears a little bit. But at the moment, you know, most of us have still only had one jab. And we've had this evidence to suggest that Pfizer isn't as great as, as you know, others. And it, it's, it's just, I'm sat here thinking, I have the Pfizer jab. And, you know, what does that mean? Because on the 31st of March, essentially, I can, I can go out and just act like everybody else. And, it's, and I'm not going to do that. There's no, no chance am I going to do that. But it's, it's really worrying. And I can understand why some people are worried. Yeah, I, I, I would go that. And I can, I, can understand, and I can understand why some people want to get back out isn't, there. Isn't it interesting the power of, of comms and media has on us when that's our only way of getting information? Because you've just talked about Pfizer one, I'm assuming, because you've had the Pfizer jab. Yeah, yeah I have, yeah. Now, I've, I've had the AstraZeneca jab, which... Uh, and I remember, you know, I wanted the Pfizer jab because I thought that was going to be from the data I'd read and the information I'd had through my screen that that was going to be better for cancer patients. So um, I think I'll touch on where the concern is. Remember herd immunity when it was yeah. first talked about when we all come. We used to herd immunity as immune challenge patients. Anybody living under, under the same roof, we could get a flu jab for them. Yeah, we could get them to follow, um, you know, sanitary and and and, and uh, advice to help us uh, and social distancing or, uh, you know, respectful uh, measurements. That's the problem we've got at the moment. We know this vaccine is proven now effic- efficacious in the population to reduce spread and reduce severity of illness when people are infected. So the challenge we've got at the moment, we are being asked or told we can be let loose before the rest of the population is fully covered. I think that's the key crux in the issue here. Um, You know, there is a feeling, isn't there, that shielding has been released too soon. Those that need protection in the workplace a bit longer might not have access to it. All of this. Since I got diagnosed, I have found that on certain days I find I'm quite depressed or I can be quite anxious and the leukaemia has affected us with that quite a bit and it impacts on your daily life quite a lot. I found it quite hard to manage at times when I didn't know what my life expectancy was going to be or what was going to happen next. Sarah Jane is just one of the people affected by blood cancer to benefit from our Anne Ashley Counselling Fund. Our grants fund up to six sessions, allowing you to explore the impact of a diagnosis with a professional. To find out more and apply, search Anne Ashley Counselling Fund on our website or call our helpline team on 080 88 010 444. I think what the, the key point you're raising, Nick, is if the vaccine turns out not to be effective for a large population of blood cancer patients, we have hints at that. We don't know for sure yet, but we do have hints and that's what's worrying. But essentially, again, you're relying on the actions of everybody else to allow you to to, to participate in normal society. Sam, is that something you're... How does that play on your mind, having to rely on other people's actions to allow you to, to stop shielding? I can remember last summer when they lifted shielding the first time and they lifted it at the same time as children were going back to school and people were going back to work so there was more human traffic everywhere and they were releasing these really vulnerable people so I felt like we just we weren't considered 
at all. Like we haven't been referred to in a lot of the briefings and, you know, we've had to really wait around for what, you know, what we need to be told and, and things like that. I feel like the same thing is happening. Oh, that's interesting. I, I, feel, I feel like the very same thing is happening. You know, I know that there are lots of people that are vulnerable for different reasons. And I, I completely understand that. You know, we're not a community on our own. There's lots of communities like us. But, you know, I, I, I feel now that I'm going to really worry about how other people act. I've been worrying about it all the way through. When I see, the, you know, when I'm watching the news, or I'm, I can hear it on the radio and I can see, you know, there's, there's congregations of people here, there and everywhere. And, and I just think, oh, my goodness. And it will probably stop me for a little while until I can gauge the situation. But this is exactly what it was like when I left hospital after my transplant. I lived smack bang in the centre of town. I couldn't escape people. When, whenever I left my flat, I was in the middle of town. So I had to decide what time I went out, where I went. I had to completely change my route and go the long way round. Um, it was really hard. And I mean, now I live a little bit further out of town and I could possibly do that now, but I am always going to be watching people. I think that that's something that blood cancer patients are going to do anyway. But this on top of it, I'm always going to be watching people. I do watch how people behave and I was doing that before COVID came along. So I don't think that that's going to change for me. It might be amped up a level. Interesting. I, I believe in population and I believe the population has been empowered by the, the, the pandemic. We wouldn't be singled out if we need to behave a bit differently and they might be more respectful and most likely to be. So I don't think there's anything wrong in relying on the population. I just feel I would feel a lot more secure when everybody's had their jab. The kids aren't having their jab yet. But the fact that the population that isn't vaccinated is getting smaller and smaller, there's likely to be less incident, less severity. But we've got all these uncertainties about these new variants that it might work on, it might not work on. We're going to be living with this uncertainty for some time. So I agree with you massively on one thing, though, with regards to the government briefings. I think it would be massively helpful if the government was to brief the population on, OK, you don't have to cough up and say we've, we've we bow to pressure that we are basically now that the vulnerable have been vaccinated, we're going to try and get back to normal as possible because they're all vaccinated. I think maybe a little bit more of guidance being offered to the population as to how to now behave with this in the community and the vulnerable at the same time mm -hmm. might give us all a bit more confidence and probably also empower the population to understand the challenges of the groups and how to interact. I think that would be really positive. It's a little bit like on the news today that, you know, there was the keep the countryside tidy and respectful campaign. It hasn't been followed by the government for 15 years and they only spend £2,000 a year on it. Hence, there's rubbish and litter everywhere and nobody's respecting the, the countryside. So I think it comes back to messaging again. But I'm not, I, I'm positive. I believe that the strength of society and the community that we will work together to help us all through it because the evidence so far has shown that that's been the messaging so far so i'm, I'm going to stay positive but fear is still close to my mind because i haven't transitioned from this 
I'm okay going out there at the moment because I'm not and I'm going to protect myself and mm. probably micromanage anybody that I'm in contact with in, in the interim. So we usually end the podcast on a tips for the newly diagnosed and I was thinking whether we should do it now but I think that is a group that perhaps has been slightly forgotten through through this whole thing. We talked about shielding a lot. Um, it's been going on for a year now, so we're assuming everybody was there at the start quite a lot of the time and they've been doing it for the whole year. But there are some people who are new coming into this environment as a blood cancer patient with the added COVID pressure on top of that. I, do, I wondered if either of you wanted to say anything for those who might be listening who may be in that situation and whether you had any thoughts for them. I've had plenty of thoughts for them. <laughs> I thought you might. Go on then. <laughs> I suppose we've had the advantage of diagnosis and diagnosis takes time to become, so that you can become comfortable again in your own skin to be able to operate in a way that, you know, is functional, mm. maybe not as different, the same as it was before you were diagnosed, but before COVID you had the freedom to do that. And if you had to be treated you knew that you would recover from treatment and your risk would be lowered and you would go out there. So I really would, would suggest that a year isn't a long time. You know, a year is not a long time. I mean, it's, I'm sorry, yours has dragged, Sam. Mine hasn't. <laughs> it's flown by. Maybe I'm older than you. Um, but a year is not a long time in terms of treatment or managing your condition. I believe in CLL, it probably took me and most people I know, it's taken two years for people to come to terms with their diagnosis. The strategies when you were diagnosed and if you went through treatment and everything else that you, you know, would have had to take on board, yeah, just maintain them, be vigilant and be positive. Things will get better. You will get better. And, you know, as a community, we will overcome this. Yeah, That's right. Just stay positive, be patient, remain vigilant. Yeah, you're in it for the long haul. You're not in it for the short haul whether you've got an acute condition or a chronic condition, when you get diagnosed, life changes, but it doesn't need to change for the worse. Yeah, it's a marathon, not a sprint, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. a year is not a long, you know, we've been in it for a year. So we've got another year and COVID's going to be around. It's, go, you know, it's going to be like we, you know, the new, you know, we have to have all of our vaccinations at different stages and different vaccination protocols to make sure we get responses. So it's going to be incorporated into the portfolio. It's going to be a part of life and you will adjust. And, and I think we will all adjust. Yeah. It's just at the moment, it's all a bit mishmashy. It's a bit messy. Is it, if I were going to put it that way. Those are my thoughts. I'm trying to stay positive, but it's easy for me doing it, sitting here on a screen, talking to people, not in contact with anybody, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I really do feel for those that don't have choice like we do at the moment. So take it as a benefit. It's never a benefit to be diagnosed with a condition, but, you know, that just maintain your vigil. That's my advice. Anything you want to add, Sam? Do, yeah, do what's right for you because... What comes with the diagnosis is managing other people's expectations and you have to do what's right for you mm. and not what's right for everybody else. If you, if you feel like you don't want to be around people and you feel like you need to really make your circle small, then you, you have to advocate for yourself and say, I'm not okay with this. It's, you know, it's, 
everybody else's circumstances are different. Everybody's risks are different. So it's speaking up and saying, I'm not okay. Choose your friends wisely. Yeah. <laughs> and your family sometimes. Yeah, well, that's, that's selfish. That's selfish. Use your diagnosis to be selfish. Don't be frightened to use the cancer yeah. card to be selfish. At times, it's important. It is. You have to take care of yourself at the end of the day. You're the one that's going through it. Yeah. And I, I, I facilitate a support group and we have lots of newly diagnosed patients on there. And time and time again, it comes up that, you know, they're, they're often managing people's expectations. And I remember that myself from when I was diagnosed. And on a positive note, it's spring this coming weekend. Birds are going to yes, sing. Yes, it is. Fluffy white clouds in the sky. There we go. Nicer times are ahead. We don't need to mix with people to enjoy that. We don't. We don't, know. There we go. Well, I hope everybody's found that useful, whether you are worried or excited or however you feel about end of shielding. I'm sure some everybody will have to take something from, from what we've chatted about today. Thank you guys for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leukemia Chatters. For more information and support from Leukemia Care, go to our website, leukemiacare.org.uk or call our helpline 08088 010 444. See you next month.